0: And this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad it is. That is so right, so right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so honored to have you here today. I, uh, how many of y'all wore your, your bracelets that you got last last week? Do y'all remember those? Okay. And you know what was really interesting is the first thing I would wake up, even before I'd say my scripture, I'm not used to wearing something you know, like this, and it would remind me, and I would just start praying, not only that God would give me an opportunity to, to talk about my bracelet, about my relationship with Jesus Christ, how Christ came, died on the Christ, cross, <laughs> rose from the grave, and is coming again. Now, if you didn't get your bracelet, we probably have about, what, 20 of them left, John? okay. That's the first time you've ever had a pastor be conservative. We have about 30 of them. And if you would like to take one, I'd love for you to have it. The challenge is that you will wear it for at least one week. That's all. It's free. All you're doing is saying, Mark, I will wear this for one week, and I'll just pray that God will give me the opportunity to speak to somebody. But also, it prepares us to pray. In May, we're going to be starting a, an outreach program where we're going to be going out on the streets and, and praying for our city. And, and I'm going to be sharing that with you, but I feel like this is one of the first steps that we're going to, to take. And I'm very excited about this outreach opportunity we as a church are going to undertake. I'm starting a new series with you, and it's really called I promise. And it came from a request from from actually one of you saying, Mark, would you kind of go over some of the promises of God? You've talked about the power of declaration. And I'm going to be starting that actually next week. Today, though, I wanted to look at the names of God. And you say, well, why are we looking at the names of God if we're going to look at the promises of God? Because if you actually look up the the gentleman's name, Russell Edward Herman, you'll find a Chicago Tribune article on Russell Edward Herman. And Russell Edward Herman passed away, unfortunately. And Russell, in his will, left trillions of dollars to unknown people. In fact, he left uh, $2.41 billion to Cave in the Rock, Ohio. And when they found out about this, they got very excited about what was being uh, left to them. And when everybody showed up for the reading of the will, (laughs) Russell didn't have any money. In fact, he was broke. And so he had this heart to to give, but he didn't have the substance to be able to back up. So there were a lot of disappointed people that had been promised this great inheritance that was to come to them. And Russell, even though a poor carpenter, didn't have any money. And you say, Mark, why are you telling me about this? Because we're going to talk about promises but have you ever realized that a promise is really only as good as the person that gives it to you? There are some people, I know, there's people in the church that said, Mark, if you'll meet me at 3 a.m. in this parking lot, you know, we we'll, and I know that they would be there. But unfortunately in my life there's some people that I have to take everything that they say kind of with thought and prayer because over the years they have not really been faithful in what they share. Or if, they're, uh, if they've had a little too much wine, they're very generous and very just uh, gregarious and make promises that they really never intend to keep. The one nice thing is that in the Word of God, it says that God never changes. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God makes a promise, He stands behind that promise. He has the ability to fulfill that promise. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, he doesn't take vacation time, you're never going to catch him in a bad mood. Isn't that great? Just because you're in a bad mood and you're somewhat praying, it doesn't mean that God's in a bad mood. God loves us, he cares for us. We talk about promises, even in our society today, and if you've ever bought a house or bought a car, all the paperwork that you have to go through in that process, have you ever bought a house, anybody in here bought a house? Do y'all remember signing papers that said, you just signed the paper before? I asked, I said, because at some point you literally are signing probably what, about 100, 150 times? And I said, well, what is this paper? Because I'm not reading any of them. You know, they could come and take my dog. But I'm signing this, and I said, well, what is this one for? She said, this one just says that you signed that one. Well, I said, if I lied here, how do you know I'm not lying there? And no one ever asked that question before. She goes, I don't know. We just have this saying that you sign that. And there's so many ways to cover ourselves because they have to cover to, to make sure that you fulfill your, your role. What it really talks about in society is our, our moral failure, our spiritual decline. A great philosopher, Mark Burkhart, said that <laughs> spiritual decline and moral failure are like a flat tire, okay? <laughs> Told you it was deep. A flat tire rarely ever happens from a blowout. That's actually a very low statistic. Flat tires come just from daily releasing a little bit of air, a little bit of air, a little more air. Then all of a sudden, you might be in a parking lot and you're turning and you'll hear your tires squeal because they're low on air. It didn't happen all of a sudden, it just happened over a very short period of time. And all of a sudden, our spiritual decay and our, our Society has just slowly been eroding away. Our moral responsibilities to each other just slowly decline. It used to be in my dad's day that when you made a deal, you shook a hand and that was it. You didn't need a contract. That handshake was your bond. Your word was your bond. Now we have online agreements and everything else because there's been such a decay within our society. As I shared, God does not change. He does not decay. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. So, well, Mark, I'm, you're talking about promises, but we're talking about the names of God. You see, I feel that there are a lot of Christians out there that don't really know the names of God. And the names of God are his character, his description. And the more that you know the names of God, the more that you pray the names of God, the more you understand who he is and how he moves, even if it's not on our timeline or the way that we wanted him to answer our prayer. We see the, the, the awesomeness of God, the ability of God. In the word of God, there's over 200 names for God. and We're not going to look at all 200 of them, just 198. No, I'm only picking seven this morning. But John 17, 3 tells us this scripture. It says, this is eternal life. And sometimes you've got to stop right there. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? To know you and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. You see, that is the power of knowing who God really is and who Christ is. We throw the names around a lot. We shake our fist at their, their being. But to truly know them... To know how to praise and how to worship. David wrote in Psalms 34, verses 1 through 4, says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. There is great power there's great power in knowing who God really is. Knowing his names, knowing his majesty, knowing his holiness, knowing his love, his mercy, his attributes. You see, everything that we come in in life is based upon our past. So if you were not raised in a, a merciful home, your definition of mercy is corrupted. Or forgiveness, or love. If your home was not a loving home, then you go into your next relationship not really knowing what love is, what unconditional love is. See, we're all accepting of conditional love. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. As long as you keep doing this, I'll do this. But when you get into the word of God and why Christ came, it was all unconditional love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't while we were all cleaned up and nice and sitting in church that Jesus came and died for us. It's when we were in the filth of our wickedness that Christ came and died for us. God is good. God is good no matter what your circumstances are this morning. God is eternally good. Even in my prayers growing up, my mom taught just like most of you, God is good, God is great. It was something that I had to constantly remind myself. My mom would have us say that prayer all the time. But do we remind ourselves today, now that we're older, that God is good and God is great? We need to look at who God is. I'd like to go through seven names fairly quickly. The first is Yahweh. Yahweh is, by many scholars, God's proper name. In fact, the Hebrew Pronunciation with no vowels is Y-H-W-H. Proper name. Everything else is a characteristic of God. So for example, um, my name is Mark. That is my proper name. My wife calls me husband. My children call me dad. My nieces and nephews call me uncle. Some of y'all call me pastor. Hopefully all of you call me friend. But every one of those titles is a different relationship because when my wife calls me husband, and she rarely uses that term, but when she would, it probably meant I'm in trouble. But the term means something different than friend or pastor because of the relationship that I have with her. But my proper name is Mark. So when we're looking at Yahweh, any time that is mentioned, it is God's proper name. The interesting thing is, um, when they would write the name Yahweh or Jehovah, the scribes back then would take their quill, they would clean it, write his name, clean the quill again, and then continue writing the rest of the verses. There was so much respect for that name. There was so much respect that they would never profane or profanity his name that the Jews at that time would not even say his name. I was thinking about how this is a far cry from our society today, where OMG is thrown out everywhere and texted all the time. We, we throw God's name in with curse. We flippantly use it. It reminds me of the story when Belshazzar in Daniel 5 was having this huge party. I mean, it was a big party. And he says, you know what? Go get the, item, the temple items that my father Nebuchadnezzar brought over. And let's drink wine from him and party with the temple items. And if you remember from Daniel 5, that's when the hand started appearing on the wall and started writing. And it said that his knees shook from fear. You see, he crossed the line when he was using something that was proclaimed holy in a very common way. I wonder about our society, how we commonly just throw this out. Really, it brought me to a question. What in today's society is holy to you? Is there anything that, that we hold is holy? I mean, we, life, we, 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 we kill life in abortions, so that's not sacred anymore, but what would you say is holy in today's society? Some of us have our favorite football, soccer, baseball team, basketball team. And man, we love and honor that. But what is holy in our society today? What is holy in your life? And your life may not be like any of your family members or neighbors, but what is holy? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves questions. See, we'll all proclaim ourselves as Christians and we'll all say, yeah, we kind of casually read the Bible, but what is really holy in your life? I think that we as born-again believers should honor His name. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Also, if you remember, the third commandment is talking about we will never blaspheme the name of the Lord. That was one of the commandments. But just today, if you get a chance, while you're on Facebook, while you're Twittering, while you're watching the news, while you're watching a movie, Notice how many times God's name is just used in vanity. My second point is El Shaddai, meaning God Almighty. In Genesis 17, 1, it says, And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. El Shaddai is supernatural power. It's the provisional power. Now, Shaddai is coming from a Hebrew word that actually means mother's breast. The mother's breast in this was the nourishment. It was the life for any child back then. It was the provision so that child could grow. Nourishment, comfort. When you have El, meaning God, and Shaddai, which means to bless, it means that we have a God who blesses, who will abundantly bless us who has multiple blessings for us. God desires to bless us. Some of us are not showing ourselves worthy of that blessing, but God wants to bless us and has blessed us. This name is indicative of who God is. The great thing is the more that you study the names of God, the more you'll realize that He alone is able to fulfill every promise and every blessing that has ever been promised to us. You remember we talked about the. The gentleman who proclaimed to leave trillions of dollars, but didn't have it. God has everything. Everything. Your school bill, your mortgage payment, your car payment, whatever mountain that you're facing right now is nothing to God. Do you realize that? I think in fact, he, he mocks us in saying, you know what, up in heaven, we paved it with gold. Here on earth, gold is everything. The prices of gold has been exploding. They're talking about taking our currency back to a gold-based currency. He has the ability and the provision if we'll cast our cares on him. The third is Jehovah Jehovah Sabath, the Lord of hosts. This is what you'll find the most in the scriptures. He is our defender, a sovereign God who sees us, loves us, will move that mountain for us. He fights our battles. 1 Samuel 17, 45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, I got to tell you, this is one of those times in the Bible I'd have loved to have been standing, not on the sidelines, because I hadn't known what was happening at the time. I'd love to have heard this, okay? The attitude that David would have said this to Goliath, I don't think it was in fear and trembling. I think it was, you're going down. (laughs) I'm seriously, I think there was such a boldness. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Man, I, I, I quiver sometimes when I read that. The relationship that David had, knowing that this uncircumcised Philistine was gonna, he was gonna cut off his head and feed it to the birds. Some of us are looking at that nine foot giant and saying, God, where are you? God, where are you? I'll call Pastor Mark, maybe he'll tell me where you are. We need to have that relationship that when you face that nine foot Goliath in your life, you speak the word you say, you uncircumcised thing, you. (laughs) You're going down. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's a strong tower. It's made available for those who need it. Psalms 91, one of my favorite passages says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, you are my God and my refuge. Man, you talk about going into the the Lord of hosts. That protection when everything else in your world is falling apart, and you can go to the name of the Lord. It's during those times I appreciate my God even more. He's able to take me in a time of trouble and deliver me. Number four, it's one of my favorites. And it's not one of the traditional ones. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner. I never understood this one at first. I really had to study this one a lot deeper. You see, in Exodus 17, 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Now, I would have called it, The Lord is my victory, or The Lord is my commander, or He is my protector. But Moses chose this word banner. So I started looking out what a banner is and everything was taking me to a military standpoint. First, it's a rallying point. And what they were saying is that in battle, they would take their banner, and when you're fighting out in the field and there's a lot of smoke or confusion or dust, you would look to see where your flag or your banner is, and you would start working your way back to it because as you're fighting, you got maybe possibly further away from that banner. And all of a sudden, you could see that banner and say, I'm going to start walking my way or fighting my way back to that. Secondly, is when a banner identifies who you are. In the Civil War, they would walk with the banner. And it was an honor for you to know which colors, which represented which troops were on the field and who you were fighting. There was a great deal of pride in knowing this. But as Austin and I were watching one of the the great movies, battle movies, I mentioned to him, I said, you notice that the guy that's carrying the flag always gets shot? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, it's like, here I am, shoot me. And they do that on purpose. Because if they could kill the banner carrier, the banner goes down. And what did I just tell you? If you're lost in battle and you don't see your banner, you don't know where you are. You don't know if you're too far into the side of the enemy or, or where you're, you get a little dislocated, confused. But according to Civil War history, the moment that that banner would fall down, the soldier was to shoulder his, 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 his weapon, pick up that banner, and continue walking. Knowing, basically, that it meant death. Because you're saying, hey, shoot me, I'm right here, I don't have a gun. Easy target. Easy target. Third, when it comes to even to a military standpoint, it was a signal. They would say that when that banner would go forward, that is the direction that we as an army are heading towards. If it was waving, it meant something differently. So now it brings in to notice when Moses was standing on the mountain and his hands were raised, and as long as his hands were raised, remember, the children of Israel were winning And when his arms got tired, and have you ever gotten, I mean, I have. I've been in worship services, and I'm like, Lord, I love you so much. Would you just strengthen my arms so I can continue this? And then all of a sudden, we go to the, Lord, we love you. (laughs) Lord, we love you. You know, because our arms get tired. And I'm thinking that Moses' arms got tired as he was standing there. But you know what his arms were? They were the banner. They were, this is the direction that we're going. We are the battle. This battle is the Lord's. He is our provision. He is our Lord of hosts. So when he made the altar, he named it Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner. See, a lot of that wasn't making sense to me when I was going through the names because if you don't understand the names, how do you pray it? Some of us need to pray to God, our victor, that you will be the the Lord of hosts, that you will protect, you will guide, direct, and lead me in battle. You say, well, Mark, we're not in battle. Not physically, spiritually. You're probably in the greatest spiritual life battle in your life. We get bombarded every day by temptation, by the ability to to sin. You can see more on the internet, see more on television. You can text and tweet more and Disrupt, corrupt a person's reputation in 140 characters or less, and reach thousands of people while you're doing it. In fact, technology is so great, you could be sitting in church texting about somebody right now, destroying their character or hurting them. We are in a spiritual battle. Satan wants your life, he wants to destroy your family, he wants to destroy your reputation, he wants to kill you. You know why Satan hates you? It's because it says in Genesis that we were made in the image of God. And when he sees you, he sees God. And he hates God. He can't stand the way that you look because of your image of him. And when we start following in the ways of Christ, it adds more disruption to his ways. Number five is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Rapha in Hebrew means to heal or to make healthful. God loves you and wants you to heal the heartaches, the bumps and bruises, the broken bones, the shattered lives. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, I will restore your health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. People call you an outcast. Zion, no one cares for you. He is concerned about our hurt. Isaiah 53, 3-5 uh, says this, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. And we hid it as if as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and stricken our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And I've stood on the scripture many times, and with his stripes we are healed. Amen. When we're going through sickness, we don't understand why, but we still stand on our faith. Number six. Shalom. He's the Prince of Peace. Shalom is a Hebrew word that translates into peace, but it's so much bigger than we can comprehend in our language. It's a stillness or tranquility. It's a a completeness, a perfection, a wholeness in our lives. So when you are greeted and they say shalom to you, it's not howdy-do, it's I just want the very best for you. I hope that your day is complete. I hope that you are complete. I hope everything is going great for you. And it's also the way they say farewell to you, that you'll go in their peace and fullness of God, satisfied, healthy, in harmony. Jehovah, shalom, peace. I just don't sense a lot of peace in people's lives anymore. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful for. We have great freedoms in this country that God has given us. And yet peace eludes us. We feel that if we get this job, that'll make us peaceful. Or if we can marry a person, or move to a neighborhood, or get out of this state and move to another state. Whatever it is, everything is conditional. But peace comes from your relationship with God. Only true peace. In fact, the word of God says, my peace I give to you not as the world, almost wish they would say tries to give. You see, there's an imitation peace out there that will never make you peaceful. And it won't come from the bottle. And it won't come from a drug. It's just that true relationship of knowing who God is, who you are, and all of the promises that are yours. My last point is my Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. I love this one. Jireh was a place in the land of Moriah. In fact, it was the location where Abraham took Isaac when he was going to sacrifice him. But if you know the story, they didn't take a lamb to sacrifice. And Isaiah is probably 14, 15 at this time, and he's walking with his dad saying, Hey, I think we forgot to sacrifice. He's like, just keep walking. I'm sure in the mind he's starting to think, wait a minute, there's him, there's me. We need a sacrifice. I bet I could take the old man. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, come on now, right? And as we know, the story in Genesis 22:14 14 says, And Abraham called that name the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. It literally means the Lord who sees. Now, why would it be the Lord who sees? Because he sees your needs. He knows your entire life before you were created. He knows every detail about your being. He knew what you faced yesterday, last night. He knows what you're going to face this afternoon and tomorrow. He holds our future. And isn't it great to know that God, who is all-sufficient, knows everything about us? The one thing that Jehovah can't force us to do is to love him. He cannot force you to love because love is never forced. Love just comes out of an unconditional way to, to take care of somebody. We've all been rejected in love. I don't know if you've gone through a dating situation where your heart was totally broken because you put yourself out on that ledge and were totally rejected. I think that happens a lot of times when people will say, God, I love you and I'll follow you and then just totally turn away and go after others not spending that time with God, not spending time in worship, not even understanding really who He is. You know, I told you my proper name is Mark. And for many of you, if you had to write a description on me, you'd be able to tell me certain things that you know about me just from my preaching or uh, having lunch at Chick-fil-A or whatever the case may be, the time that we spent, you know me Then if you heard a rumor about me, you'd say, you know what? That's not the mark that I know. That doesn't sound like his character. He wouldn't do that. But every day we got bombarded by telling us who God is and who God isn't and what God can do and what God can't do. It's happening on campuses. It's happening in workplaces. It's happening in homes. And we don't know the true character of God. I think it's very important that we understand his names. And there's many, many more. But the relationship is what I'm going to talk to you real quickly about as I close in the next two minutes, three minutes. Four, if John will give it to me. Okay, I got four. God wants a relationship with you. We're born in sin. We are sinful creatures from day one. Moment, second one. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. Some of us get very good at sin. Man, I'll tell you what, lies can roll off. We can cheat, steal, kill, everything. And it can become very second nature to you. You can be very, very good at being bad. And yet God still loves you. It's not conditional on who you are or how you behave. It still totally blows my mind that while I'm in the gutter of filth, the Holy Spirit still is in coming to me saying, Mark, your life is in shambles. You're making so many mistakes. You have no peace. Your friends, you can't buy them for long enough. And you need something to stand on. That's when he becomes our Lord. Then when we realize that one day we're all going to breathe our last breath, I guarantee you that. And we wonder what's happening when we step out of here into eternity. I've been hearing a lot of people saying, well, I just feel like nothing's going to happen. And I want to say to them, if you feel nothing's going to happen, and I feel that something is going to happen, wouldn't it be better to err on the side of conservativeness and say, God, I don't want to spend eternity away from you. And if I follow your ways and your precepts, it just makes me a great citizen here on this country. It tells me to honor those that are in authority above me. It tells me to love my neighbors. It tells me to pay my taxes, to be diligent, to be love, to be a light. That's the handbook of Christianity right there. In fact, if Christianity was fulfilled completely, this would still be a wonderful place to live. But we deal with sin. We deal with flesh. We deal with motives, desires. That's where our relationship with Jesus Christ comes in. Because the more that we spend time with Christ, the more time we spend in worship, the more time we spend time in the Word and praying, the more like Christ we become and the less like the sinful nature that we were born to be. I am not the same person I was 30, 40 years ago. In fact, I don't even think you would recognize me. My personality, my sharpness in my words, but Christ, but Christ. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. And this prayer is not only for those sitting in here today, but the people that we hear are listening to our messages on the web. This prayer is just as much for you as it is if you were sitting here with us today. I'm asking you To say a prayer, and if you mean it, if it's not just words out of your mouth, but if it comes from your heart, it will start your relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you please pray with me today? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am saved. Amen. If you made that prayer and you're not ashamed, tell somebody, today I gave my heart to Christ. I've made so many mistakes. I want a fresh start. I want a new beginning. I want that peace that Mark was talking about. I want to be that protected. I want to be that provided for, that healed, that comforted child of God that we learned today about. Next week, we're starting the series, I Promise. It's about the promises of God. I literally could preach on that for years. We're going to condense it down to just a couple weeks. In May, we're going to be starting a series about asking God for our community. And it's going to resolve in some actions being taken. It might be that we're just walking the streets praying one night a week, two nights a week. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that. But I do want to challenge you, if you'd like one of the bracelets, they're free. All I ask is that you wear it for one week. And pray that God would bring somebody into your path or somebody's path wearing that bracelet or that you'll pray for the salvation of other people around you. As, you. as I close, I'd love for you to stand and I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss. Once again, thank you for coming today. We are honored to have you in our presence. We love you very much. We are the body of Christ. According to God's word, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.